Welcome back to Demo Jockeys. I am Jack Cochran. And I am Adam DiTomaso. Adam, can you believe we're now going to be entering our third month, talking about our third book. It's already been two books already. I know, third book. And it's a, it was a pretty good one. I'm, I'm yeah. happy with the third month. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening to this and binging, uh, we just are entering December right now. So uh, that's why you're seeing sweaters, at least on me. You're seeing warm-blooded Adam wearing a t-shirt, no matter the weather, <laughs> even though I live in the much warmer climate than he does. <laughs> the frozen tundra of Rhode Island. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But no, it's 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 been a lot of fun. Had great conversations. If you missed old episodes, you can go back and and watch them. Just binge them. Uh, if you're trying to find out more information on all the different things about the podcast, demojockeys.com is where we've got the past books, the books we're going to be reading upcoming, and any other information about us or get a hold of us or let us know in the comments things you want us to talk about or read. We'd love to love the input. Absolutely. Yeah. If you've got a good book, please put it in the comments. We'd be happy to check it out, and maybe we'll feature it, and maybe even you on a future oh, episode. We'll, we'll at least give you the shout-out if you give you the, 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 the nothing else. <laughs> well, we, we'll appreciate that. Our book for this month is the book Range by David, Epst David Epstein. Fantastic book on, it's called Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. This book, spoilers, has absolutely changed a lot of the ways I think about my career. It's not a career book. It's not a sales book. But my goodness, does it have great implications to what we do in pre-sales. It's a life book. It really is. It gives you, you know what I got out of it when I first really started getting into it? And I was, the way the book sets up is the story and then the lesson within the story. I really like that combination. Yeah. it, it It's fun to read a book that's getting you engrossed in stories. That's really yes. all this book is. It's just various stories that kind of ties back to a point. That kind of tells the story of the most, like 80% story, 20% telling you why it told you that story. <laughs> but you guess about halfway through the story why you're being told the story. You're like, ah, I see what we're doing here. Yes. And so it's very <laughs> impactful. I think there's actually a good lesson in storytelling in the way that this book is telling its stories, Adam. Don't you think? Oh, I would agree. Uh, it's, it's funny, you know, going back on our previous books and thinking about that. Yeah, it's using the story to provide a relative example and allowing the reader to actually picture themselves in that particular situation. The stories are generalized enough that we can all relate to them, but yet specific, specific enough to a certain person that the example becomes intriguing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So we'll talk about that book shortly. For those of you who like to read ahead and get ahead of the next book, though, this is going to be our book for January, The Six Habits of Highly Effective Sales Engineers by Chris White. Great book, getting back to an actual book on pre-sales. So we'll be doing that. So there'll be a link in the description or you can find it on Amazon, I'm sure. We'll also link to it on our site if you want to go buy it. Read it. Get ahead of it. Keep with keep up with the podcast. Keep up with the show. It's kind of a book club after all. So get ready for January. You know you got the time between Christmas and New Year's to read a few book chapters. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you don't want to be that person showing up to the book club not having read the book. But I, I won't tell if you show up to the podcast not having read the book. But, like, please, I mean, if you're listening, read the book. It's You're going to get a lot more out of it if you read the book for sure. But anyway. So, Adam Range, why generalists triumph in a specialized world? 
what's this book about? Give me give me the synopsis. Why would I? What's this book about? Well, I think this book is about really the idea of being able to succeed in an area where you don't think you have the right to succeed in it or the capability to succeed in it. That's how I felt when I like this book made me feel like it gave me the it, to be direct it it gave me the idea that I could expand my career into different directions that may be more personable than professional. Yeah. It gets into the concept that uh, we've all heard the story of, uh, everyone's probably actually heard this saying, in order to become an expert at something, you have to spend 10,000 hours doing it. Right. And then it cites like Tiger Woods and it cites uh, chess master, grandmaster chess People, I don't even know what this, people, the chess people who spend 10,000 hours becoming a master of chess and say, well, see, that's the proof right there that in order to become good at something, you have to spend all your time doing only this one thing. Mm-hmm. The point that David makes very early and then expands upon throughout the whole book is the world isn't like golf or chess. It's much more chaotic than the structure you would receive from the repeated patterns you get in golf and chess and other things like that. It's much more wild and it requires more of a broad general set of skills than a really narrowly focused set of skills. In fact, going so far as to say you're better off being a generalist than a specialist if you want to succeed in most things in life. I agree. I I mean, that's a great comment. And what I got out of that personally was vindication. Mm. I consider myself a generalist in a lot of things. I mean, within my own area of, of expertise and technology, I am still considered a generalist because I never focused on one particular platform. I was never a coder. I never sat down and I wrote code. I wrote JavaScript. That's what I do. That's what I'm good at. That's not what I do. That's not what I'm good at. But I can write a couple of little things that do what I need to do or at least give the idea to the specialist or to the gen that can then execute what I want and fill my generalist need. Because I'm thinking of the project more holistically. Now, what also, it, from a personal standpoint, when I say vindication, I it's interesting. I grew up with a father who was a generalist. He, hmm. complete generalist in his job. Uh, and he, what he did was he ran a post office. He was a postmaster. And when you're a postmaster, you have to be part accountant, part mechanic, part uh, mail sorter. You have to be able to do customer service, but you have to be able to do X, Y, and Z and all these things. So he was a generalist in every aspect of his role. In his personal life, he did generalist hobbies, but yet he was so focused on making sure that we were all specialists. My brother, Matt, was a specialist in education. My brother, Tom, was a specialist as a soldier. My sister is a specialist in nurse, and actually she's a specialist within that specialized field. <laughs> yeah, so, that's how it goes, right? Yeah. Right. And I was and I was lucky enough that or on, on just I was the black sheep in the family. That wasn't that was a, I didn't really necessarily find my way. And like, I'm going to major in this. I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do at 18. And I kind of fell into my career almost in my 30s. So but yet from a success standpoint, I feel I've certainly been on par with my brother, my brothers and sister. Uh, just where they are being that generalist. Yeah. No, I feel the same thing as well. Like it's, I, I I could never pick what I wanted to do. I think I changed my degree in college like five or six times and it landed on theater arts because I just had run out of time to keep changing. Uh, but even then, I mean, 
nothing I was doing was necessarily all that like something that I'm going, ooh, I'm I'm I couldn't find something where I'm like, I want to spend my entire life doing only this one thing. Right. Because that's not me. I, I, I couldn't possibly I can't even do one hobby for more than like three years before I need to change my hobby. <laughs> like I much less a career because I just enjoy changing and doing different things. And for the longest time I felt like that's causing a detriment in my career, even though I've been successful. So have I been successful because I've been lucky, which was kind of, I don't know about you, I felt like maybe I've been successful in spite of myself, right? Up until yeah. recently. I thought, well, I just circumstances, not considering that as I've been doing now, potentially the breadth of experience that I've been getting from the different jobs I've had, from the different industries I've been a part of has led me to be great at the job I have right now, which is what I'm starting to feel, especially after reading the book. I want to I want to kind of dig, dig into that a little bit. You just said something that kind of I don't know. When I hear you say was I lucky? I don't I kind of don't believe in luck. And one of the things that I took out about took from this book and and in all the stories I've read is um one particular one when we talk about a certain chapter later um is you were at the right place at the right time mm-hmm. with the right yep. generalist skill set. To I'll be able to that. take advantage of the situation you were in. Some mm-hmm. people may, oh, that's luck, Adam. No, 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 luck is going to the casino and hitting 800 bucks on a slot on three quarters. Mm-hmm. That's, that's luck. Yeah, that's luck, right, yeah. But no, I see, see what you're saying. So, like, it actually takes skill to be in the right place at the right time. Yes. That's what you're saying. There is some... Uh, unless if what you're saying is I was in the right place at the right time to be like, here's a million dollar briefcase that I'm handing the next person that I see, like not that kind. I think right. you're meaning more of the the work I did to position myself in the various pieces of my job to the point where when the job was available, I was the obvious person to get it. Right place, right time. Yes, but you put yourself in that position to be there. If right, that makes exactly. Sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm following you. I, and I think you're right because... As I've looked back in my career, there's a lot of stuff where I would previously have called myself just lucky to get to where I've gotten, where I'm going, no, it, none of the experiences that I had uh, were non-contributing to who I am as a professional now. Right. Everything I've done, even the things that seemed very vastly different from what I'm doing now, has influenced how I approach people, how I approach customer service, how I approach communicate communicating with people how i approach anything none of that is wasted in fact if i had been just in sales my whole career i'd be missing out on the side the stuff that i did before i was in sales and if i'd been in just like i'm in martech right now if i've been in martech my whole career i feel like i'd miss out on all the other industries i've been a part of as well that that give me the breadth that i need to be successful in my role and that's kind of what i think like the book's getting at is all of those things kind of add to that right place at right time. But yeah, I would have previously called myself just lucky because I because I wasn't doing the thing I thought I needed to do, which was spend my entire life doing only one thing. Right. <laughs> you know, that's that's a real interesting you know, spending your life doing one thing brings you to the term of practicing. And there's the argument that or not the argument they say is if you practice too much, are you taking away from your creativity? In particular, I'm referring to the book. I just feel like this is a good a good time to go into a little bit about the book and a little bit about chapter three. I thought it was really interesting where 
when you read through it, you're looking at the idea of people who are specialists, like think of your classical music player, someone mm -hmm. who's a virtuoso, plays violin. And the interesting thing is when they are judged based on their ability to read something, read a sheet of music and reproduce that exactly how it's supposed to sound because their their skill, their specialization, their expertise is in just doing that, mm -hmm. taking something and not their creativity is how creative they can reproduce something to be perfect because the composer said this is exactly what I want you to do. On the other side of that spectrum is your jazz players, mm -hmm. who, interestingly enough, if you give them a sheet of music, will be like, what is that? <laughs> but. <laughs> True. Yeah. But they'll. Uh, I, I'm, or I'm not doing that. That's not right. that. No, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing that. I don't know how to read that. I know how to read, like, English, but not <laughs> music. <laughs> but they'll turn around and, and in a complete free and free way, do something that they may never be able to do again. But it fits the moment. It fits the time. And who's to say which one's better or which one's worse or mm -hmm. which one's, you know. So I think that getting back to the idea of generalization and specialization, there's certainly reasons and areas for both. And I don't want to tell our listeners, oh, this is you shouldn't be a specialist. You should be a generalist. I think that that chapter kind of reminds us that, yes, you can still specialize, but also be a generalist and try to have a little bit of both worlds. That's another mm -hmm. thing I got out of the book. It's not just about the direct idea of, oh, you're you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna do as well if you only do one thing. Yes, you can do well, but if you expand your your horizons out and be able to kind of live in both worlds, you're certainly gonna be able to cover a lot of ground. Yeah. I did I did appreciate that about the book as well. It's I think the book leans very heavily towards generalists because it's fighting against the common the common misconception of how specialization is the only only path to victory. Right. But one piece that is talked about that really lends into that is you have to ask yourself if the thing I'm trying to do, the, the ecosystem I'm trying to be a part of is, oh, is very structured. If so, specialization tends to work well in a more structured format. Right. So if you're an actuary, I don't think that being creative and being, and bringing more generalized creative ways of being an actuary is probably a good idea. You probably want to specialize in that because there's some ways you do and don't want to mess with insurance and finance. Right. Um, but if you are, say, a marketer or let's say you work in supply chain or something where bringing a different lens to something that you're doing can significantly improve, that's where I think generalists are really going to thrive and where you're going to potentially see some success compared to a really structured environment. Right. I mean, to draw another crazy example, if, if I've got a heart problem, I want a heart surgeon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's. But even then, let's let's talk about sort of the doctors. You mentioned this uh, with your um, sister, who's a nurse. Yep. That the book actually gets into this a little bit, too, that there's a good and bad with specialists and generalists in the field, in the medical field, because what you want, if you're getting heart surgery, you want someone who is specialized on exactly how that surgery is supposed to go. Kind of your classical musician, like don't, don't improvise when you're going in there and doing surgery, do the thing and get out, please. Right. Like, exactly. Like we told you to do it. Do, do it exactly the way you're supposed to. Let's not get creative here. If you've got a disease that doesn't, 
look like normal. I really don't in that case want a specialist. I want a doctor who's got the broad, has had the most breadth in their medical expertise who can draw from all the things that they've seen to figure out what's wrong with me. The book actually talks about this, that the medical field actually is suffering from over-specialization and that people have a hard time drawing the conclusions they would otherwise see because they've gotten too focused and too specialized. Right. They're only looking at one potential root of the problem. Right. And I feel like, I don't know about you, but as, as I look at my job and I look at the roles that I've had, or I can put it this way, there have been times when I've been in my job for a long time and you feel like you're doing great and everyone around you feels like we're all walking the same path. Then you hire someone new to come in that's smart, that's bright, and they ask a question about a way you've been doing something, not in a mean way, but just in a, why do you do it like that? And you go, I don't know. We've because never considered not doing it that way. You're instantly going, yeah, you're sitting there going, well, we just became so specialized in our way of doing business that we hadn't considered the other experiences that this new person's bringing in. Right. I think it's important to make sure you're not overly specializing in your job, either in how you do things and your processes and how you communicate, how you go to market, whatever it is that you do, especially in sales, how you go to market. Is this the right thing to do? And getting that outside perspective, getting someone who's not just exactly like you, it's, I've seen incredible benefit from kind of bringing the generalist to the table, so to speak. Oh, yeah. I mean, the generalist offer a broader view of the problem. And it's it's funny. I think about this with, with my recent activity. You know, I've made not necessarily the switch, but I've gone from pre-sales to post-sales. I'm in kind of a post-sales consulting type of role right now. And it's interesting I had the perception for a long time in my career, up until about a year ago, <laughs> that post-sales was very specialist, was full of specialists, was only specialists, and that's what they did. Um, but I, I could not have been more wrong. Hmm. And uh, I learned a lot recently in a particular deal I was working where I was like, oh, wait a minute, my documentation skills are going to be important here. I have to write good documentation. My discovery skills are important because I've got to figure out the root of the problem and do a root cause analysis. My technical chops better be good because i got to go do. And I just noticed that I started going about, if you could imagine a scale, like a 10-inch scale, like 10 inches, whatever, one being the beginning. I was hitting threes on multiple areas and being very successful because when I needed to really go deep in certain topics like building a web schema or building a new data layer, I was able to rely on the specialist to help execute that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I feel like that's the role that's, I mean, post-sales, I mean, that's the same in pre-sales, right? We have to, right. there's always someone, I feel like, at the company who's going to know more than the pre-sales person about a very specific piece of your product, whatever you're selling or whatever service you're offering. There's going to be a better expert if you need that deep expert. But you need to have a very not shallow, but you need to understand the breadth of the offering completely more than any specific feature as a pre-sales person even. Right. And certainly you have to have the breadth of that feature, but you're not going to be deploying that feature either. So. <laughs> that's very true. There's something to be said about that. I mean, my, <laughs> that's, that's actually a story. There was something that I was selling once where 
I never really was given a full understanding of the platform. And someone asked me to write, my boss had asked me to run a proof of concept. And I looked at them and I said, I don't think you understand how little I know about this product. I don't, I wouldn't even know how to start doing that right now. They're like, but you've been selling it for a long time. I know. I was never taught how this actually works. But I'm really good at demoing it. <laughs> I'm really good at helping you understand how you're going to, how you're going to see value out of it. But that can be often very different from, as you know, deploying it, knowing how it actually is going to work with a customer. Um, but oh yeah, I don't recommend that. But that can be the <laughs> case. I don't recommend that. That was that was fun when I didn't have to sell that way anymore. <laughs> yeah, times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta know. You often gotta know a little bit more. So the, one, there's another concept that I wanted to to chat about. This goes from chapter nine, where we're digging a little bit more deeply into this idea of career change. Okay. Or changing your specialization, mm -hmm. which is something that I feel like a lot of us, and you know, you a little bit, obviously going to post sales, me, because I mid career switched from customer side over to sales. I know I'll talk to a lot of people that are looking at pre-sales as something they want to shift their career into. And every conversation I have with a lot of people, there is this a little bit of angst of how can I be good at this job when there's so many people who've already been doing it for X number of years, <laughs> right? I'm never going to catch up. And the book actually talks about that. There's a story. In fact, the whole book is stories, by the way, which is fantastic. But there's a story that's being told about uh, someone studying a specific field and they got like halfway through their master's degree and learned that they were just hating it. <laughs> they really didn't like it anymore. And when they went out and asked for advice, the advice that they were given was, well, you can't switch now because you've already got all this work you've put into this thing that you hate. <laughs> You're stuck there for the rest of your life. <laughs> which, which if you think about it, and this is the quote, I actually want to read the quote because it's actually, um, it's actually funny. People said, this is going to take too long because you have no fundamental knowledge. So they want to change to a different area. They said, this is going to take too long because you have no fundamental knowledge in this area and you're going to be behind people who have already done their masters there. So this is what we hear. Like, how, how can I possibly be good at pre-sales because I'm behind everybody else? Right. So to clarify, this is then the author saying, the advice she received was to stick in an area she knew she didn't like because she had already started, even though she wasn't even that far in. It is the sunk cost fallacy embodied. And I, for me, I couldn't agree more. While at the same time, I sat there going, oh, my gosh, I feel like this has been my career up to this point where I felt like I can never make a change because I'm already this far in and I'm going to be behind if I change anything. Yes. Like, am I too old to make that change and actually put a different direction onto my career? Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> the number one question that my teenage daughter has been asking me over the past five years is, is it too late? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Which is funny because you think about a teenager, you're still at the very beginning of your life. Is it too late? I feel I've not, you know, I, I haven't started learning how to code. If I want to get into coding, is it too late? I'm like, you're, you're like, this, she asked me this question when she was 14 and I'm going, no, no, <laughs> no. it's not too late to start learning how really to code. To. <laughs> I because the honest truth is, like, I'm over 40. I I could decide I wanted to get into coding, go learn it, switch careers, and start doing it. And I feel, and 
what I've learned through reading the book is that, you know, I'd be bringing into my coding experience the stuff I've learned over the past 10 years in sales and in the time before that in being on the customer side, doing all kinds of project work and project management and consulting. That would make me a better coder, right? I'd be a really unique coder. In fact, oh, yeah. I could probably charge a premium because I'd be this really unique, weird you can do strategy coder. too. You can do all these cool <laughs> things. It's that... It, I wouldn't have the specialization of someone who's been coding for the past 40 years, you know, uh, but well, in fact, someone who's been coding the last 40 years, probably still doing COBOL. So I don't know <laughs> if, they haven't, if they haven't changed. They might not be that relevant, but I took a class on that, but I do feel like, <laughs> of course you did, <laughs> but I do, I do feel like I'd be able to be a, be unique in my field because of the experiences that I've got outside of the field that I could demand a premium for. I, you know, I, I agree with you. It's it's funny. I, I have to give this book to my wife because I need her to read it. Because I, I just had a realization. It's funny. Recently, my wife and I were talking. She has a very high-pressure, high-stress job. And, like, she she's a nursing supervisor. And basically, she's in charge of five guys that are armed. That's her little, I like to call them her posse. Because they're the security team for the hospital. She's in charge of everything that you can imagine in the hospital. If something goes wrong, they go to her. She's also an... Uh, a certified uh, disaster environment, I can't remember the acronym, but if bad things happen, they call her mm. along with wow. police and fire. Yeah, that's what she does. Like, that's one not, of our, that's, I do not want that job. Oh, I know. And she thrives <laughs> on it. I'm glad oh, there are people that do. Yeah, me too, <laughs> to Just Jack. say that. I brought her lunch one day, and I armed guards like walking up to me, what are you doing here on a Sunday at 7 o'clock? I'm like, I got a lunch for my wife. And um, she had to come down. She's like, he's with me. And she's yelling at him and taking me down these stairwells and into places and hospitals he didn't know existed. And uh, and she gets a phone call, and the tone of her voice changed instantly to this authority. I'll be there with this cart, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. Like, I got to go. Follow the hall to the left, to the right, and go up. Oh, God, I hope I don't get lost. So I gave her her lunch, and I, you know, but the whole point of that story is our favorite show is Hell's Kitchen. Oh, and yeah, my it's wife, a great show. Oh, great show. She looks over at me and goes, These no one on that show knows what stress is. <laughs> she looks at, like, like yeah, oh my God, they didn't get a steak true. right. <laughs> They're not going to die because someone got a steak wrong. And I laugh. I, I, I play it up. But the point of this story is she's thinking of making a career change. She's been doing healthcare and first responder healthcare for 25 years, starting out doing EMS stuff all the way up to running hospitals. Well, She's thinking about going to, back to culinary school because they want her to go get her master's and all this stuff. She's like, I, I'd rather go to culinary school. And then I want to be on Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> and, you know? And I'm like, oh, my God, yes, do it. Go to, go to culinary yeah. school. Like, why not? And Imagine the, the expertise she'd be able to bring of the rigor and, like, very unique skill set that most people just starting out of, you know, high school into culinary school would have no concept of discipline that she would have. Oh, oh no. Gosh. Or the stress and pressure. Like a stressful day for her is when like three people come in with a horrific accident, you know, like horrible yeah. stuff. Rolls off, you know, whatever. Get it done. Get it done. Get it done. Got to get it yeah. done. I think if there's one group of people who could handle the stress of a kitchen, it's people who've handled a hospital. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I look at myself knowing I would crumple. I would just crumble and die in about five minutes in a kitchen. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. No, I, I, I think 
it's stressful though to switch careers, but I do feel like we can we should start taking the stigma out of a career change. Yes. Because you're not abandoning what you've done, which is what we've all felt like and been told over. When you switch careers, you're just abandoning all that progress, which is certainly what I felt moving into sales until much later I realized, oh, that's actually becoming an asset. You're not abandoning what you've done before. You're, you're bringing that with you as this is, these are the bag of tricks that I've got. There's going to be some things in here which can be better than the tool you're going to tell me to use anyways. Right. And it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. No, that's that's all. That's absolutely very true. Yeah. I I, I love it. No, well, yeah. Get her, buy her a copy of the book. Do not give it to her for Christmas. I've learned that giving unsolicited books for Christmas can often not lead well. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is my wife's birthday is is, is in a couple of days, and I'm staring at the book that I'm actually giving her. It's a cook. Well, I, it's a cook. I mean, if you know it's a book they're gonna want, versus yeah. versus saying, "Here's a gift. Here's a book I want you to read." <laughs> hmm. Okay. I've I've re I've received a couple of those books over the years, not from anyone I'm related to or anyone who'd even know to listen to the show, and where I'm like, "Great. I don't read this genre." And I've never shown interest in this. But you open the book and they start talking to you about how the book changed their life. And you're like, oh, it's one of these gifts. God. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Funny thing. Once I got a, one of my buddies, Hollis, gave me a book. It was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I said, what does that say? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting book to receive as a gift. Um, yeah. <laughs> 1984, you know, can throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> give me a no, give me a Lord of the Rings. I'd be happy. <laughs> I mean, just there's some you have to know the person, right? You have to know the person. Right. I think giving a cookbook to someone who's considering culinary school, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there you go, right? Before we go though, Adam, I do want to take a stop, a quick stop in the demo zone. So, what have you got for us today in the demo zone? The demo zone. So yeah, what we're going to talk about today is a real simple idea and it's something it's a lesson i've learned very recently or relearned i like to say is and that is patience 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 you have to really and why is that important in a pre-sales perspective well or in really any type of sales perspective there's going to be situations when you're working with clients where i'll give you an example they're going to ask the same question about eight times and they're going to ask that same question eight different ways because they're trying to get to a particular answer or they want you to answer in a certain way that will satisfy a requirement or a thought that they're having. That's where you have to use your patience because mm -hmm. you can get frustrated, particularly yeah. if these are repeat questions and even from a post-sales perspective, just general customer interactions that you will, you can provide answers that will not be consumed and then asked about again. And then you can provide those answers again and they can be consumed, <laughs> then not be consumed. Then you have to provide them again. And on yeah. the third time, they may actually even finally get consumed. And that person may, well, why didn't you tell me this earlier? That's when you got to have your patience. A little bit of patience. <laughs> yeah. So really, I mean, this is more of a simple one or just a basic idea. But I think it's something important that every SC knows is know what frustrates you and learn how to have patience around those particular situations and you will the reason why is because the more you can control your emotion the better your response will be in that scenario 
Yeah, that's great. I appreciate it. Definitely something to keep in mind as you have. I've certainly had those frustrating clients as well. So thank you, Adam, for that trip to the Demo Zone. Uh, reminder, if you want to get ahead for next month, pick up Six Habits of Highly Effective Sales Engineers by Chris White for next month. But between now and then, pick up Range, read it, and we'll see you guys next week. See you thank next you. time. Bye.